0: The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, Truly I say to you, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me. And I, because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's just pray, Heavenly Father. We like David, understand that your word is is more precious than silver, sweeter than honey. Father remind us of that because in this in this word that you've given us is is the account of your amazing love for us. Father, let the words that I speak be tested by your word and moved by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus name, amen, truly truly right whenever you hear this in scripture or read this in scripture it means there's something important about to be said something more something greater something to be emphasized so much so that the speaker is saying to the hearer listen up this is important in the greek it's amen amen this was an illustration of the gospel the gospel in bread right there are so many reflections of the gospel throughout scripture Things that, that, that point us to the truth of Jesus. Ways that, that God uses to illustrate the good news. And bread is one of those ways. Bread's Bread shows need. right? Bread is our, our basic need. And, and God was pointing us to Jesus all the way back in the time of Moses using bread. When the Israelites, they were hungry. And even though they were grumbling and, and beginning to sin in their grumbling... God gave them bread from heaven. And note this wasn't normal bread. But it was manna. And and we know it wasn't normal because of that very name, manna, which means what is it? (laughs) So we know this isn't a normal bread that God gave them, but something to sustain them. And it was something to point forward to the the bread, the eternal bread that he was going to give them. God provided this bread and gave them life in the middle of the desert. But they didn't work for it. In fact, they weren't allowed to work for it. So, so our, our, our um, ways of doing things, we would go out and, and oh, look, all, all this bread is on the ground. Well, we've got we to gotta store it up. We've got to make sure we get as much as we can. But if they tried to store it up for the future, for the next day, it would spoil. And, and they would be sinning against God's command. He told them not to do that. So that each day they had to rely on God. Every day they had to rely on God's provision. And they had to rely on his provision anew each day. And each day they had to see that God's grace was sufficient for them. What he gave them was sufficient. We've been talking a lot lately about the roles of of men and women and and gifted people in the body of Christ and showing how God uses the home and the church to illustrate the gospel. And I want to finish up that discussion today by, by showing exactly how we uh, exactly what we've been talking about and how God shows his gospel in that and why it's important First, we have the order within our household and, and in our churches to show our need of one another So That's the first thing I want to talk about today Is how the order in our church and the order in, in our household shows our need for one another and how this points to the gospel And again, I've been hitting hard the teachings from 1 Corinthians 12, that each one of us, because each one is gifted, is needed in the body of Christ. Because each one of us has a different part with different gifts. Paul said that we are not a loose kind of of club, but a body. And Paul says the whole body cannot be an eye, because then where would the sense of hearing be? But rather, God gifts each one of us, so that that we're not a group of individuals vying for the top job, but rather we are a body fit together by God, who's the only one in the top job. Have you ever had one of those friends, and um, they're one of those people that are are incredibly generous. They always want to be doing something for you or, or for the people around them. They're always there to help. And, and they always want to know how they can help. They're always saying, well, you know, what can I do for you? And, and always generous, always thinking about others. But they never let you help them. They never accept help from anybody else. Now, often a friend can think that they're doing the right thing by you, by being like that. But if you've ever had one of those friendships, you know that that, that, that friendship doesn't work. That's not real friendship. And it's a very one-sided relationship that, that one person serves but never admits their need to be served themselves. And those friendships never work. You see, the system that God has established in the church is the body of Christ so that we accept this, this humility that, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm called to, to give. I'm gifted so that I can do things for other people, but I also need the other people in the body of Christ. You see that? It's, it's, it's like a puzzle that without one piece, it, it doesn't work. We, we all need those who are sitting in the pews with us. We all need the gifts of the people sitting around us in the body of Christ. We need this bread. When the world looks at the church, they shouldn't see the Lions Club, right? Or, or the Apex Club or, or just a sports club. Just some folks getting together to appreciate a common, um, a common ideal. No, they should see a group of people who are inseparable, who can't exist by themselves, who just can't seem to do anything on their own. And, and you know, I, I say that, that phrase, people who just can't seem to do anything on their own, and, and immediately we think that's a negative thing. But that's not a negative thing. That's how God has created us. We have a need. Why? Because that's the gospel. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he uh, he it is that, that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I mean that's a harsh reality for, for us in our less than humble society. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what Jesus says. You have a need of Him. Jesus says, without Me, you can do nothing. If that were not the case, like, if we could, um, do anything without Christ, then we don't really need Christ. Our salvation, you know, we are so caught up in, in, in sin. We have been so caught up in sin that there is no way for us to get untangled by ourselves. You know, my, my daughter, she, um, had this necklace and, and i hadn't seen her wearing it for a while and and she finally says oh i i haven't been able to wear it because it's all tangled up anybody ever done one of those um cheap little silver kind of necklaces that that get all tangled up and they're very tiny they're impossible to get untangled i've been working for a day and a half trying to get that thing untangled we can't do it ourselves that's that's us in in sin And we try harder and harder, but we end up just getting it more tangled. We can't just try harder to obey the law. All our good works are as filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6 and Romans 10. So we need somebody to do it for us. You see that? We can't do that on our own. This is a hard thing for us to admit. In fact, when when Jesus was preaching these words, again, what I said before in in communion, these 5,000 people, they said, this is too hard, and they left. They wanted him to, to give them a moral lesson like the Pharisees did. You know, like, do good and, and you'll get the bread of life. Obey the law and 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 you'll get something in return. But that's not what they got. They got, I am the bread of life. They got Jesus telling them that he's going to give himself up for them. They got grace. But they didn't know how to handle that. The second part of this is how... We see the gospel in our, our church and our home in service to one another. So first we talked about how, how we see it in our need for one another, but now in service to one another. So if we need each other, what do we need each other to do? We need to serve and to be served. When God created Adam, right? Imagine creation in Genesis. God steps back and he says, it is good after everything that he created. Then he created Adam and he stood back and he said it's not good this is not good that was the first time he said it's it's not good when god created adam he created something incomplete and he stepped back and he said no this is not good he said it's not good that man should be alone so he out of out of man's rib he created eve the woman to be his helpmate in genesis 2:18 and let's, let's think about Jesus, right? Foot washing was a thing back then. Boy, am I glad it's no longer a thing. Because, yeah, that's not something I would be too willing to do. Um, but if you went into somebody's house, a servant would often wash your feet. Imagine the people in, in those days, they walked around in sandals in Israel where it's often dry and dusty. But if you're going into the home of a, of a true friend... As an act of humility towards you, that friend would wash your feet. So Jesus, when he was again illustrating the gospel, what was going to happen? Jesus, this great teacher who had attracted a crowd of 5,000 and, and even 7,000, who performed miracles, who, who they tried to take away and make him king, this Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around himself, got down on his knees, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Now get this, this is totally foreign to people. Sure, yes, a true friend would do that, but these are disciples and a rabbi and a teacher. And because a disciple was a student that followed a rabbi around, he was was considered the rabbi's servant. In those days, the rabbi would choose out of the the Hebrew school um, several boys who, who showed promise And they would be raised up by that rabbi. They would follow him and and learn from him and live with him and and eat with him. But they would also be a servant to him. But here, the rabbi was serving his disciples, which was unheard of. We have another incident incident of foot washing. There's actually a few in Scripture. Matthew 26. I guess we're going to read this to you. Verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Jesus was aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, did you hear what Jesus actually just said? I mean, imagine again uh, the reaction of the disciples when Jesus says, In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done this to prepare me for burial. And then he has the nerve to call this good news, the gospel. <laughs> what like They saw this woman as, as doing something that was a waste. Jesus saw it as a serving and a thanksgiving and honor paid to him for what he was about to do, what he was about to do, the good news, that he was going to die on the cross and then be raised again, that we might have forgiveness and life. Then we jump Ephesians 5. So we see all these illustrations of the gospel here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see these feet washing. Incidents, they're all pointing to this. What Christ has done for us, washed us clean of our sins, that we'd be presented as holy and without blemish. And so then we see this, this further illustration is our household. So you see this in, in, order, in the order of, of a household. Jesus is actually pointing back to this washing thing because he says, look, in your households, this is what it should look like. Why? Well, to reflect Jesus. So that when people look at your household, they look at your marriage, they see Jesus at work through service to one another. And Jesus brings up two things. Uh, sorry, Paul brings up two things here. For men, as, as heads of the household, uh, I, actually, I remember one of my, one of my um, seminary professors, he was talking about this text when, when I was preparing to get married. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he asked, well, how did he do that? Yeah, sure, he died on the cross. He gave himself up for her. But he also got down on his knees and he washed her feet. Husbands, you're a reflection of Christ in your household. This is what we're called to do. Jesus is illustrating the gospel in service to one another. So that when people see how we serve... How we serve in our families, how we serve in our marriages, how we serve in our friendships. So that when people see that, they're getting a glimpse of the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, also also out of Ephesians 5, that people see the gospel through submission. Oh, that's that's a controversial word today, isn't it? Submission is a reflection of the gospel. And, and i'll soften that word a little bit we start in ephesians five twenty one. it says submit to one another in reverence for christ and and before this it's talking about how we interact with one another as the church and and he ends it by saying look all of this submit to each other so we're not just talking about husbands and wives here he's he's saying all of you all of you in the body of christ submit to one another I think I used this analogy the other day about, um, using a pen. Well, in that, every, every part of the arm has to submit to the other part to make it work. Imagine if, if, if the muscles in your wrist said, nah, I'm not going to do what the hand's telling me to do or what the brain's telling me to do. Well, you know, you wouldn't be able to write anything. Your handwriting would look like my handwriting. Um, but, but we have to submit to one another, according to Ephesians 5. Submit to one another. And then it goes further. It says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is also the head of the body, the church, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, again, that can be taken in a in a very unbiblical direction. What does submission actually mean here? Um We've got to look at verse 21 and verse 22 together. Submit to one another, and yes, wives, submit to your husband. See, the church is the bride of Christ. Going back to the foot-washing thing, when Jesus tried to wash the disciples' feet, they had to submit to that. They had to submit to his service. One disciple, Peter, he did not submit to it. And he said, Jesus, no, I should be the one washing your feet. There's no way I'm going to let you wash my feet. He wasn't willing to submit to what Jesus was doing, the way Jesus was serving. Jesus said, if I do not do this, you have no share in me. Again, this is like that, that friend who who always wants to do something for you, but never lets you do anything for them. You have no share in that person because there's, there's no sharing there at all. Jesus says, if, if I don't do this, if you don't submit to this, I have you have no share in me. If we think about Jesus serving us, remember that he came to serve, not to be served then submission takes a completely different direction. We submit to his serving us. We submit to his grace. We submit by admitting that we have sinned and that we need his help and that he's offering that help. We submit like Ruth. Ruth is another great example of of an illustration pointing forward to the gospel. Okay, so, so we imagine ourselves as as the bride of Christ. We are the, the church. That's, that's what Paul is, is especially talking about in Ephesians 5. But we are like Ruth, right? We are in a foreign land, Gentiles. We're poor and we're hungry and we're alone, picking up the scraps. That's how we were before we knew Christ in our sin. And like Ruth, we get to a point where we lay down at the feet of the Lord, and He picks us up, and He gives us bread, and He takes us as His bride. And like Ruth, we, though foreigners, are brought into this family as an inheritance through Christ. Do you see that picture that was painted there? That we've been picked up by Jesus to be the bride of Christ. And so when we look at Ephesians 5 and it says submit as as we would submit to Christ, that's what this picture is painting. That when people would look at our households again and our marriages, they would see Christ in that. That we're submitting to one another. That husbands, that, that we would love our wives enough that we would get down on our feet and and wash their feet. Or that we would do as 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 a story of Ruth and pick her up and serve her. And wives, that, that you would submit to your husbands with that in mind. Submit to that service. All of this isn't, isn't about the family, really. It's not about the church, really. But it's about all of us pointing to Christ, using our relationships, using those places to point to Jesus, to paint a picture and and when we get back to our text, Jesus says we are the branches, but we cannot grow without remaining in Him. We can't do anything without remaining in Him, without submitting to Him. We must abide in Him, it says, submitting to His goodness and grace, submitting to Him in repentance of our sins and turning to Him. And all that we do, all the order that we have in the church and in our families and, and in our relationships and our marriages and our work friendships, our school friendships, everything that we do is to paint a picture not of ourselves but of Christ on the cross displaying his grace for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome picture you have painted through all your, your prophets, through through the words of Scripture, through the history of your love for us, from Israel to to Egypt, to to the Gospels. We see it in all of it. Time after time, you're pointing forward and back to Christ and His grace and His eternal gift of salvation. Father, we thank You for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.